Uh, let's continue to give the Lord thanks. Let's declare the word of God. That is, declare the thanksgiving of God from your own lips with your own words. Just say, Father, I thank you. Because you're walking in me. Just say, thank you. Give the Lord thanks in your own word. Thank him for what his word is doing in your life again today. So I thank you because there's something that you have proposed, something you have planned. Lord, thank you, Lord, something you have proposed. Thank you for something that you have planned. I give you praise in the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. The Lord is good. All the time. Let's declare the word of understanding as we begin to study. One, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of it, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to pray for somebody. Grab somebody. I grab one person and declare for that person. Say, the Lord will give you understanding. The word will give you insight. That word will transform you today. It will make you more and more like the Lord Jesus. It will heal you in every area. It will perfect everything that concerns you. It will perfect everything that concerns you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Say today, every demonic oppression is broken by the entrance of the word. Say today, every confusion in your life is banished by the entrance of the word. Say today, poverty is banished by the entrance of the word. Say sickness in your life, no matter the form, is banished out of your life by the entrance of the word. As it is written, he sent his word and the word healed them and it delivered them from all their destructions. Say every destruction, every oppression in your life is broken again today by reason of the word. Say Jesus has already paid. There's no reason why you should be bound. So receive freedom again. In the name of Jesus Christ. Alright, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats and go into the teaching of the word of God. We are continuing to look at the face of the Lord Jesus again today. The way, the truth, and the life. We have been looking at that for some time. And of course, we are not in a hurry. Uh, We are going to therefore stay there for a long time. I came to the conclusion again while studying that we don't understand Jesus enough. And that's why we have to continue to study like this so that we'll understand him better than we did before. It's important for us to know who he is. And one of the things I have noticed is that we preach him only as a savior. But the Bible did not say that should be our preaching. And for maybe I should start from there. Let's read the number of scriptures to start today. First of all, let's read from the book of Revelations, chapter 19. I want to read um, just a number of uh, verses here and there as our introduction, as our text. And then from there we'll pick up what we want to discuss. Revelations, chapter 19. I was saying that we need to know the Lord Jesus very well. And that's what I'm trying to do to, by the Spirit, 
to show us from the word what really he is like, and he wants us to understand him. Without a proper understanding of him, we cannot walk in a manner that is pleasing to him. Now we're going to start reading this one from um, verse 7 thereabout, but because it breaks in a funny way, let's start from verse 6. So then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, this was John speaking, and like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. He said, it was given to her, that is a bride, to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is a righteous act of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, that is instead. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I just say um, something as an aside. Neville Johnson says that this was one of the Old Testament prophets that was giving um, John a guided tour of heaven. <laughs> that's what he said. And he said that the Bible calls an angel, but that just means a messenger. And he was trying to explain that this was a, one of the prophets of the old um, era that, of course, who had died and gone home to heaven. And that's the person that was giving this tour. And that was why he said, I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren. Now, those that angels don't talk like that. All right? That just, by the way, it's not important. It's just that, you know, sometimes when you read too many things, you say too many things. All right? You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> the Lord is good. <laughs> so just forget I said it, all right? If you don't like it. Just forget I said it. Okay. Okay, but that's what David Johnson said. I think uh, Sadhu Salvaraj also holds that, um, uh, that particular opinion. And you don't blame them for holding such funny opinions because they have funny experiences. They will tell you that I went for a meeting and Jonah came for that meeting. <laughs> I'm not kidding, no. Someone they went to see Australia or New Zealand and then he was waiting somewhere, walking around. The woman was hurrying to come and meet him, only to find it was Joel. And you're looking like, Joel? Which one? The Joel that lives in New Heaven or the Joel in the Bible? <laughs> so, all right. But it's good. It's good to listen to some of those people. That, you know, your ears, your heart will be kindled to know that there's a realm out there. And it's not an imaginary realm. There are real people that really exist. And, I mean, it's good to listen, listen to people, someone, a man like Sadhu Selvaraj. He's really, really supposed to come to Nigeria again in November. The last meeting didn't hold. I think he's supposed to come back in November. So just go and look at him. He didn't tell you a thing or two. <laughs> they are first and foremost Bible teachers before they are prophets anyway. So the things they teach really, they are, they are scriptural. Anyway, that's not part of our message. Just okay, Muti, that started all of that. So let's, <laughs> let's continue. <laughs> now, back to what we're saying. Verse 11, and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. Now, that's why I'm reading this. I saw heaven open, and a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. Now, please notice the Lord Jesus is being described here. 
Like I said, we need to know him well. I, I, really, I feel like teaching on this subject for the rest of the year. Many of us don't understand who the Lord Jesus is. So we just treat him as a, you know, forgive my sins and then let me leave. Are you getting my point? No, it's not like that. We should not understand the entirety of him. At least as much as we are able to in this life. He said, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. Now notice this. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. Now please, that's why I'm reading this. In righteousness he judges and wages war. In I told you, I've not been saying it again and again. He's not a man who goes around smiling. Get, bear that in mind. In righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems or crowns, depending on the version you are reading. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. Just by the way, many crowns means he has conquered many kingdoms. Many crowns implies that he has taken over many kingdoms. He has destroyed many kings. That's why he's called the king of kings and the lord of lords. It's not as if he sat down in his house and made many crowns. That's not the point. The point is that he's an overcomer. Are you getting my point? That this is a, is a warrior, a conquering warrior. That's why he said he's a, um, where's it again? I'm looking for, where's that my verse again? That in righteousness, which verse is that, please? I'm looking for 12. Huh? He said that, um, it's not 12 now. Ah, no, I'm confused, man of God. The Lord is good. <laughs> it's 11. He said, in righteousness, he judges and wages war. So the result of conquest is why he has many diadems on his head. Now, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. Now, listen to the Lord Jesus being described. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And now this is not blood of his own sacrifice. This is the blood of his enemies. He has conquered. So bear that in mind. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. Now, please notice that. With that, he strikes down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. Now, so look at Jesus being described, all right? He's an avenging Jesus. He's a warring Jesus has been described here. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I don't want to read beyond this. Otherwise, you will see more of these exploits being described from verse 17, okay, down uh, and further down. Now, why did I read this? To just show us how Jesus is being described. The Lord Jesus is not described as, you know, like I keep on saying it, you know, savior, nice man, you know, anything you do, you're just okay with him. That is less than half of the truth. The whole truth is far beyond the fact that he's a savior. This is interesting part. While I was just going through the scriptures, preparing for this, I noticed something. Quickly open your Bible somewhere else. You'll see something that John said it. We have seen John here describe him as a judge and a warrior. Bear that in mind. But I want to see that Paul said the same thing. Peter said the same thing. I'm going to read a, a number of them. Let's quickly open to, um, which one should we read now? Okay, Acts chapter 10. I'm, uh, listen, I'm really excited that we are doing this. 
looking at the person of the Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 10. Now, the story in Acts chapter 10 is the story of Cornelius. Cornelius, of course, you know, that is Peter coming to see Cornelius. is what he described there, uh, what Peter said there that we want to look at. Now, when Peter began to speak, verse 34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which is sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, in bracket, is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, and all of that. And in verse 38, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things, of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Also, they put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Now, notice verse 42. Please notice verse 42. Please notice verse 42. Look at it carefully. Don't take my words for it. Look into your Bible. And he ordered us to preach to the people and testify, and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. That's the preaching. The preaching is not just his savior. I want you to notice that. He said this was what he ordered that we should do. You know, this, the Bible is very, 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 look, there's a lot of details that if you don't read one page, you may miss it. You need to read here and there. When it says go into all the world and preach the gospel, you understand? Many, what is the gospel as far as we are concerned? Be delivered from your sins. But we'll forget something. When the people preached, people came and said, what must we do to be delivered from the judgment to come? Preaching used to scare people. Believe me, sound preaching is scares people. Over time, we have given the impression. You know, if I was there too, they said, don't preach that people, God will send people to hell. God is a loving God. Ah, Father God, thank you. We tend to humanize God. We, you know, we can't stand that he's doing some things. We say, no, that's the devil. Many of the glories due to his name we have given to the devil because we assume that he only saves. <laughs> Peter said it. He ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. When the people heard that Jesus was going to judge them. They said, what must we do? <laughs> to be saved? That's what they were talking about. When people, those they will ask you, what must I do to be saved? It's not, they didn't have this concept in mind that you and I have today. Saved from my sins. That was not the point. The way they understood sin, the Jewish mind, the way they understood sin was not just the iniquity, but the consequences attached to it. 
So when you say the soul that sins, it shall die. When he says, I want to be saved from my sin, he's not talking about committing. He's talking about death. Do you get the point? So when it comes that I want to be saved, the salvation is deliverance, is deliverance from the death that follows the sin. It is just that God cannot deliver you from the death without delivering, delivering you from the bondage to the sin. But the mind that had the gospel was focused more on the, the death, the consequences of sin. I don't know how the thing came upon me some time ago. Every time I said, look, please, let's stop looking at Jesus as if he's one nice, smiling man. That's not what he is. The Bible says, go and preach that he's going to judge both the living and the dead. Last time I began to speak here, we were talking about it, First Peter chapter 4, that Paul, Peter said, now judgment begins in the house of God. That's where he starts. You know, I was thinking about, you know, just reading scriptures, eh? just considering it. Whew, just what we were saying last time, continue from that point. Listen to me. Let's learn to fear God. We must learn to fear God. And when I say that, I mean we must learn to fear the Lord Jesus. I explained last time that it's possible to love him and fear him at the same time. It's possible. You can love and fear him at the same time. Very, very possible. Those days we began, of course, you know, there's one thing Ken Hagin said once, which, of course, many preachers have said it, and I believe it totally, that the main problem with people is the ability to balance truth. So they always tend to swing to an extreme. When we, those early days when we were children, the gospel was not balanced. We were children, and all this thing was about sin, sin, sin. So you were sin-conscious. When we later began to learn the doctrine of um, righteousness in university those days, they came to take away that sin consciousness. And which is very true. A child of God shouldn't go around being everything, you know, sin, 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 sin. Sin conscious. You want to walk, you say, don't kill an ant, you know, those kind of things. Literally, some people walked like that. They were very, very, you know, afraid of offending God at every moment. That is one side. That was an extreme. But there's a problem. When people now began to try to balance it, as human beings normally will be, they swung to the other extreme. Oh, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you know. You know <laughs> God does not punish people. You know, he doesn't. He died for you, Jesus, you know. So it's only the devil that comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. So if you see anything negative in life, it's the devil. So you don't walk in sin consciousness. Good balance is all starting as long as we're trying to pull us out of the other end. But we're now swung to the other extreme. People came to preach it. Look, let's see, Paul, let's say something. Watch their conduct. Are you getting my point? Those who began to preach those things, were they doing the things that we are not talking about? The Kenneth Higgins and E.W. Kenyans that preached to us the righteousness in Christ Jesus. They were not adulterers and fornicators. True. True. <laughs> they were not thieves. They were not lying with the word of God and twisting it. But then Christians now took it, sat on it, and produced the kind of fruit that you didn't find in the lives of those people. There's a problem. The men who taught those things, you didn't find those things in their lives. That means that what you are practicing was not what they preached. 
And it's your responsibility to try and balance truth. But listen, there's a balance to everything. Holiness movement came. The problem they had was that they sent too much about sin. People were sin conscious. Then God brought another movement to come and balance the thing. Then we made a mistake. We threw away the holiness movement and went for faith, righteousness, prosperity, and the counterbalancing effect of the holiness movement, we lost it. So the result, which we, I mean, we saw things like that. You see, you see a man lying and says, it's my mother that is lying, my spirit is pure. <laughs> see a man committing adultery, he says, because you are in the flesh. If you are in the spirit, you will be able to see. Yes, ah. People do that. When I went to school, the thing was breaking out at a point in time. Why did you, why did you, I, I, I kept a bucket of water here. You used it. It's my flesh that I used it. My spirit is pure. <laughs> That's the problem we have sometimes as Christians. The ability to balance things. We find a situation in which we don't balance things well. But listen to me, there's a balance. Somebody say amen. amen. There is a balance. Jesus indeed is the Savior. Jesus indeed loves us. He is the expression of the love of God for all of us. But that doesn't remove the fact that the Lord our God is a consuming fire. In fact, Jesus came to prevent us from being burned by the judgment of God. He did not come out to wipe away that judgment. He came to deliver us from it. And if anybody will not walk with him... The fellow is judged already. Very, very important we get that point. Very important. I feel so strongly about it. So the Lord Jesus, we are looking at him. Please, I feel like emphasizing it again. We saw from that book of Revelations that he is not exactly a nice person, smiling. He's a warrior who is set out on conquering. Now, there's only about Revelations I want us to notice again. And in fact, I feel we are going to do something. When I finish here... That is today. Next time, we'll now go and look at his rebuke for the churches. We'll just identify some important things in there so that we'll see the things that are important to him and how he responds. Please, let me say this again. Don't let anybody tell you that because of the grace of Christ, God will let you continue doing anything you like and you're covered by his grace. That is not true. I don't know how we can believe. Anyway, it's because we love sin. That's how we can believe such nonsense. Are you getting my point? Yes, Listen, why would you love to do iniquity because somebody tells you that grace covers it? First of all, it's not true. Grace does not cover it. If this is not working in your life, you have not truly believed. Number one thing grace does for you is make the ability to resist sin available. So that you are no longer a slave to sin. And that was what Paul emphasized. Grace makes it possible for you to look at iniquity and say, no. Satan will use all kinds of temptation. Get away, you. Man shall not live by bread alone. Grace makes it possible for King David to be on his, wherever he is, and Bathsheba is doing tons. Three Bathshebas are basing three times a day. And he's wondering, why are they bathing stupidly like this? And he's like, ha, these bad of these days, they don't have sense again. God have mercy on them. 
and he recruits one of his men, go and preach to those girls to stop basing anyhow, because judgment is about to come. And he does not consider Bathsheba a temptation. That is what is called grace. Let me tell you what grace is again. Grace is your name is Paul. They send you an assignment. On the road, <laughs> I'm Robert, let's collect you, beat you very well. And I wonder, why didn't God just bother to deliver me from this thing? Tell so you to come back. You find out that you wait. The Arabs you leave, you continue with your bruised and battered body to Ephesus. And those ones will receive you. I say, ah, sorry, sir, what happened? I say, man, you guys have some wicked boys in this area. But didn't cross your mind to go back to Jerusalem. That's grace. Grace is this thing that possesses a man. They say, well, you are going to the cross. We are going to destroy you on the cross. So of you to say, I'm not going to the cross. You say, who do you seek? When he looks hard, you go and pray. Then when you come out, you face the cross like it's nothing. That is grace. Grace is not that God says I should go to Nineveh. I go to Tashish, yet there's no storm on the sea. Fish does not swallow me. And I get to Tashish. He said, what are you doing here? He said, don't mind God. He said, I should go to Nineveh. Does he know what kind of Nineveh, Nineveh is? Please serve me full joy. I'm going to stay in Tashish. Won't he punish you? No, I'm under grace. I'm not seeing that kind of grace in the New Testament. It's not there. I know you're not here. I, you know, we're not trying to argue with each other here. Otherwise, I would have, would have gone through it one by one. You, I found out that every warning against, that is, warning against God's judgment in the Bible, New Testament was written to Christians. Yes, the letters were not to unbelievers. Yes, yeah. Peter wrote, say, hey, we are Christians. If we are scarcely saved, say, well, I, I feel sorry for those guys that refuse to believe. Uh-huh. That's all he said. He actually said it clearly that it is written, the Lord shall judge his people. <laughs> and people say hyper grace. Really, I don't know what they call hyper grace, you know, so I'm not here to criticize anybody. I don't know. But the fact is this if grace says to you, you will continue walking in sin, you will be in the market, and your neighbors will be laughing at the name of Jesus because of your conduct, and you say grace covers you, you're out of your mind. You're kidding. Let me tell you something. If God does not punish you at all, they know you are a non-believer and you are going to hell. Because if you are indeed a believer, he's coming after you. He's going to squeeze you and make you beg for mercy. If you, Listen to me if you are here and you're listening to this. And you've been living anyhow. Years have passed and the Lord doesn't talk to you. Things are going normally for you. You know, money is coming in. Everything is working. Prosperity is working. And you are believing a lie. You are seeing it. You are a pastor. You have two girlfriends. One of them is in the choir. The other is an unbeliever in another part of town. And you are smiling and nothing is going wrong. Believe me, if you die that day, you will go to hell. Do you know why? Because you are not a believer. If indeed you are a believer, the Lord will not be watching you. I know him. He won't watch you. What he will do is send the correction one, twice. After that, he starts squeezing you. He starts squeezing your life with toss, with turn upside down. When your life doesn't turn upside down, he says, give me that one. He's just enjoying church. I'm not planning to talk to him again. Please, let's get it clear. Grace does not mean, we just behave in hell. Hey, hey, 
You know, I'm under grace. <laughs> Guys, what's happening, man? We'll go, go block some beef tonight. And tomorrow's service, we'll go confess for night. Nothing. Why? Grace. <laughs> it's grace. It's grace. It's not grace, my brethren. It's disgrace. <laughs> I don't, you, know, you know, sometimes eh, some, there are doctors you hear. You wonder, that, why would anybody even want to believe such things? I read my Bible, look, like last time I began to say it, Peter said, now we know, judgment must do what? Begin in the house of God. Let's talk about the book of Revelation slightly. Don't open to it, I just want to talk about it. Now let me say something. The Lord Jesus is very interesting. Oh no, God. Many of the things that he calls blessings, if you saw them, you wouldn't call them a blessing. No, no we should open somewhere. Let's read that revelation. There's something I want us to, to note from it. And it's a portion we know very well, but let's just read it. It says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the book or to look into it. Now, notice verse 4. Then I began to weep greatly, because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. Now, please, before you continue reading, just let me just point pass something across here. If you look at it, a book is written. It needed to be opened to release what's inside. So John was sad that nobody could open the book and release the things inside. And why would you be sad except that it's supposed to be a good thing that the book will be open? Are you getting my point? And the contents released. Why was John sad? It's simply because he believes that it's supposed to be a blessing. And I think that's what the Spirit was passing across to him. Why was, should somebody be worthy to open it? It's a good thing that's inside the book. So John was crying. Now notice something. Verse 6. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into, the, into all the earth. And he came and took the book that is this lamb, out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain. I mean, think about it. He was slain for this purpose. And purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, and tongue, and people, and nation. That was what made him worthy. That he gave his life for these people. He said, you have made them to be a kingdom, and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Now, then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, around the throne, and all of that. And they said the same thing, verse 12. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Now, he said everybody was rejoicing. Why? Because 
somebody was now able to take the book and break the seals. Now, this is the problem. What is the content? Chapter 6. Then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, Come! I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. That's what we read just now in chapter 19. Remember that? <laughs> That's what the first seal revealed. Second seal, verse 3. And he broke the second seal, and I heard the living creature saying, Come. And another, that is this time around a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted what? To take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another. And a great sword was given to him. Um, John, why were you crying when this was sealed? John should have been rejoicing when this was sealed. Maybe he did not know too. What people were rejoicing that the lamb was able to take and release. Look at what it is bringing. Number five, verse five. The third seal. And when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it, now that red horse was for war. Called inter, you know, inter, you know, Mambila people fighting for any headsmen. You, you, you know, last week, you know, stuff like that. Syria, been in war for the last five years. Libya, killed Gaddafi. Nobody's addressed. You see trouble everywhere. Invade Iraq. That's the end, that's the end of peace in Iraq. Now that's the second horse. This third horse now, the black horse now, his own was to bring in famine. And he, had, and he that sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center, in the center of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, that is a day's wage, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, a whole day's wage, just for this small amount of food. And do not damage the oil and the wine. In case you do not know, what does this mean? There will be a widening of the gap between the rich and the poor. The poor is going to get poorer, the rich will be left alone. That's what it meant when he said, do not damage the oil and the wine. Yet, make food very scarce. Jesus paid with his life to redeem us, and God rewarded him with the ability to bring this one out. Number seven, the fourth seal. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature, fourth living creature saying, Come. This time around, I looked. And behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. <coughs> That's for breaking the fourth seal. When he broke the fifth, fifth seal, what happened? Verse 9. I saw underneath the altar of the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? That is, the cry for vengeance was heard when the fifth seal was broken. And there was given to each one of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even 
as they had been will be completed also. The sixth seal, my Bible has that portion, terror. As if the other ones were not terrible enough. <laughs> I looked when he broke the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. Now we understand. It released so much ashes into the air, it blacked out the sun. Sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth, as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. You heard of tsunamis before? This was what happened in Bandaje. This was what happened in Indonesia. There are islands that don't exist anymore because there was an earthquake in the middle of the Pacific. When the tsunami hit, killed over 200,000 people in just a few days, and there are many Pacific islands that don't exist anymore. They were tourist resorts before. They are not there anymore. Literal fulfillment. And somebody tells you because the devil is angry. The Bible says because Jesus broke his seal. I'm describing Jesus. I, know I want to emphasize. <laughs> There's a reason why Paul says that 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are begging you on God's behalf. Be reconciled. <laughs> be reconciled to God. Jesus came to deliver us from the judgment to come. He didn't wipe out the judgment. He just came to deliver you and me from the judgment. My emphasis is that the Bible calls that Jesus the judge. He said with righteousness he judges and he wages war. I said something I think last time or the time before that. That listen, God has sworn every knee we bow to the Lord Jesus and every tongue we confess his name. Every knee we bow. I said then, either you bow in the time of peace, which is what we call responding to the gospel, or one day you'll be there shouting, fall on us. That is the Jesus we are talking about. Who is this Jesus? He's the judge of the whole earth. And when we're talking about judge of the whole earth, I want people to understand. Let's stop painting a picture of him as if he's weak and he's soft. There are things I believe sometimes you can't even preach them because people just people think that where do you bring your doctrine from? This idea that God, you know, carries people and pampers people. For God so loved the world does not mean God loves the world so much. No, it means this was how God loved the world. For God, read good news, uh, what God's word translation. He said, For God thus loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. So that whosoever believed in him, let me some paraphrase it, will be delivered from the anger of the son when it will come. Let's get it clear. When you are preaching Jesus to people, it is not, oh, this your position is not good though. Come to our church. Tell the fellow, continue like this. Continue. You know where it is taking you to? One day you will shout, Mountain, fall on me. Because the judge has appeared. One day the judge will appear to you. I have just come like Paul begging you. Deliver yourself from that judgment. Repent now. There is a time. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, tomorrow is the day of vengeance. The Bible doesn't say that I added that one. I hope you know it's not in that line. <laughs> I added that one. Today is the day of salvation. What does that mean? You don't have all the time for salvation. 
After the day of salvation closes, you walk into the judgment or the vengeance of the Son of God. Let's continue reading. So it says that, that's verse 14, the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of who? The Lamb. Please, I think we have glorified the devil too much. Well, if you have heard me long enough, you know I don't like some things we say about the devil. I said you ascribe to him the kind of power he does not have. You make it look as if he's the one that just wakes up in the morning and can kill and do anything he likes. And God has to be begging him, slow down now. You want to kill everybody? And then we have to be praying against him. Devil, devil, devil. So anytime something terrible happens, you say it is the devil. And you never make allowance for the anger of God. I said this long ago. Satan cannot, many of the things I see, when the tsunami in Bandache hit Indonesia many years ago, one of our brothers sent me a message. He says, sir, I remember one day you were, you were preaching. Do you know there are things you say as a preacher? You don't even know when you said them. He said <laughs> that I said that Indonesia, <laughs> that they are playing with Islam and they are joking with Christ that they won't know what hits them when the Lord will respond. Go and read Mel Tari's book, Like a Mighty Wind and the Gentle Breeze of Jesus. He described the revival in Indonesia. Yet, Indonesia is the most populous Muslim nation on the earth today. When Jesus releases revival and you reject him, don't think he walks away and tells the Father, don't mind them. You see, God doesn't give advice. It doesn't give you options. That we, what I mean is that you can reject me or not. If you reject me, that's how you like it. Too. But it's good for you to take me. No. Rejecting him is an insult to the father and an insult to him. And there's always judgment that follows. There's always judgment that follows. I look at people that make it their point today to stand against the name of the Lord Jesus. I look at the Middle Eastern nations. I look at how they try to advance their this is stronghold of their own, in quotes, knowledge. In direct opposition to the truth of the Lord Jesus. And I shake my head. And when I shake my head, it's out of pity. It's out of pity because I know the kind of person the Lord Jesus is. Like you quote from Psalm 2 all the time. He said, kiss the son, lest he be angry. Lest he be angry. When he's angry... 200,000 of you will perish in one week. Actually, in one day. Just I will count the bodies over the next one month. When he's angry, that's what I'm talking about. Look, why? You know, some people say, devil, I say, forget that. When we're preaching, you know, this faith movement, people, we glorify the devil to an extent. It's just annoying. We don't leave room for the wrath of God. He's the governor amongst the nations. He's the ruler. You know, he's the most high. Jesus, he's the most high. He's exalted above all the whole earth. And he's the judge. He's a savior. 
The day of salvation, yes, he's the savior. After that day, he's a destroyer. He's a warrior. The Bible says he was clothed, his garment was soaked with blood. That was not his own blood. Oh, no, no, no. That was not his own blood. That was the blood of vengeance. When he was done with dealing with his enemies. That's the blood of his vengeance. When his garment was soaked in blood, he had treaded sinners. He had walked upon them. He had slaughtered them. He had killed them. He had destroyed them. He walked through them. They stained his clothes. That is the Jesus we are talking about. That is the Jesus we are talking about. When you hear the Lord of hosts, the Lord, the man of war, that, was, that is Jesus we are talking about. If you see him just watching people, like we said last time, it's just a season of his what? Time. Giving people time to repent. He's giving them time to repent. <laughs> Let me tell you, if God gets angry and says, look, you sons of bond woman, you've annoyed me too much. He's during pilgrimage he will release. Go and read the Bible that he will announce, vultures, come, 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 come and feed on the flesh of his enemies. That when he wipes out, you will not be able to bury them. CNN will send drones to be counting. They will be estimating the number of corpses. That is the, how, that's the way Jesus is when you annoy him. And the Bible says he kills them young and old. When it comes to killing people, Satan is an apprentice where Jesus is. That is why you beg people. He's begging you now. Give your life to Christ. It's a good time. That's how you explain the gospel. That when this time passes, you will be begging rocks. Follow me. Sometimes, look, listen. Maurice Cerullo, he agreed to preach the gospel when God showed him the, showed him the fate of sinners. See, that was when he agreed to preach the gospel. When God allowed him to see the fate of sinners. Men preaching the gospel all the time. God just allows it. Look, listen. These people are rejecting me anyhow. Continuing their iniquity. <laughs> when I'm angry, look at what I will do to them. The man will say, yeah. He will come back and say, please. The person you are playing with, you have not seen anything like him when he's angry. That's the motivation sometimes for preaching. When there's earthquake, what do we do? We will send aid. Yet, the Bible says the kings of the earth... The rulers of big countries, big corporations, big multinationals, they will be begging for earthquake. And be asking somebody, can you detonate a nuclear bomb paradventure to bury us? Let's continue reading this. He said, they said to the mountains, that's verse 16, that is, let me talk verse 15, the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the day of the wrath has come, of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? That's the what? Sixth seal. Right? Yes. <laughs> now, this is the interesting part. I was looking, I said, what about the seventh seal? Now, go down to chapter 8. The fourth thing about the seventh seal, 
land, see what we have seen. First of all, you saw the, a white horse and a warrior on it, ready to go out to conquer. Then we saw a black horse bringing in, we saw the red one bringing in war and conflict. Then we saw the black one bringing in death, famine, famine, all right? Then we saw the ashen one bringing in death. You understand? Followed closely behind by grave. You know, we've seen different, we saw another one, people, you know, when the sixty was broken, the sound of vengeance, you know, all of this noise. Yeah, it's not the seventh one. What am I saying? When the seventh one was opened, verse 8, chapter 8, verse 1, when the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. It's called the eye of the storm. What's the eye of the storm? You know, in, in Nigeria, we don't see much of that, so we don't, most of us don't even, one day I see doing weather forecasts, you know, we don't watch TV. Because God has blessed us, say, guys, I know you have enough trouble on the other side, so <laughs> let me not, let me not bring this one upon you. So, too much cold doesn't worry us. Too much heat does not kill us. When we are hot, we find ourselves, we sleep outside, we are cool. It never gets so cold that you say that five people died. Why should they die? Because it is cold. Just carry a blanket, cover yourself. Even if you're on the man like double your blanket, you'll be fine. All right? So we don't know much about this storm. But actually, a storm, usually, where you are, it looks like the wind is moving in one direction. But if you look at the whole area, it's actually spinning. Okay? So it's like, okay, you've seen this whirlwind that we see, these small ones. And you know, the whirlwind moves. Okay? So imagine one that's like a million times what you are seeing there. So it's moving. But where you are, it looks like just wind blowing in one direction. But it's actually swirling around and it's shifting. Sometimes you are in one part, the wind is intense. Then when the storm moves, you get to the center and there's no movement. The storm is not over, it's moving. You're about to get into the other part. Those who have experienced, they call that the eye of the storm. Don't worry, the thing is moving, <laughs> it's coming. Now, what happens is that so when there's a storm, sometimes there's a lot, everything is quiet. It doesn't mean the trouble is over. It just means there's enough time to bury yourself and wait for the next batch. And hopefully, you won't die in the process. If you remove your house, remove all kinds of things. If you're on the shore, it can cause a lot of damage, and then it moves on. That's what I mean by silence for half an hour. It's the eye of the storm, so to speak. Because the next set of woes that came it was so much, it had to be broken into stages. 